0: Tim Weisberg here, along with the Silent Assassin, well, the Silent Assassin's not here, but Science Advisor Matt Moniz is here, Stephanie Burke's not here. People don't really communicate with me, so I don't know where they are, but they're not here. I communicated with you. You do. You usually do. If I don't hear from you, then I get worried, (laughs) because then I figure you're probably in jail somewhere. That was a couple of weeks ago. Mexican prison or... Well, we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, if you are new to the show, I think there's some new folks that are in there uh, in the chat room. Uh, This is the way that we like to do the show. We not only broadcast on WBSM, but we also like to stream it as well on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com or right on the Spooky South Coast YouTube channel. You can watch the show as it goes on. Now, without Matt Costa being around, the visual portion of the program has gotten significantly less interesting. Uh, you just have the camera on myself and, and Moniz tonight, but that's okay. Uh, the important part is that everybody's in there chatting in the chat room and having fun. And if you are you know, able to do so, obviously if you're out driving around listening to us on WBSM, it's not going to be easy for you to jump into a YouTube chat room. But if you're sitting at home and maybe you're listening to us on the radio or listening to us on your Alexa device or maybe you are watching us on your smart TV... Because you can do that, you can watch the show on your television with this YouTube option. Uh, but you know, then you can jump into the chat room and interact with everybody. Great people in there. I Want to welcome all the first timers. Want to say hi to everybody that's coming over. From uh, there's the the woo gabbers and the ElGabbers gabbers and all kinds of friends that we've been making along the way who are hanging out with us and uh, hopefully will enjoy the show tonight. We're going to have a few guests. First, we're going to have joining us for a few moments at the beginning of the show. We'll be joined by Sam Baltrusis, who will give us an update on the Mass Paracon that's happening a little bit later on this month. It'll be taking place out in the Berkshires in Lenox, Massachusetts, and it's going to be quite the the weekend, so we'll be talking about that with Sam. He also has a special deal for anybody that wants to take part in the Mass Paracon. He has uh, the Spooky Pass that he's going to be offering tonight, so Sam will let us know. All about that. And then later on, we'll be joined by our main guest for the evening, Alex Matsuo. She's been on the show before. She's somebody who kind of takes a an ombudsman look at the world of the paranormal. She's somebody who takes a step back and says, uh, I'm going to look at kind of the bigger picture of what's going on here. And I don't mean just about the world of paranormal phenomena, but also the world of the people that are involved in researching it, which sometimes can be more paranormal than the phenomena itself. Mm. So we'll talk with Alex about that. She's going to tell us all about uh, residential hauntings. And this is something that we talked about uh, a, a while back. We had Andrew Lake in, yep. and we were talking about how it's a different animal when you are going into somebody's home to investigate. And so Alex will uh, join us to talk about that. She's actually written a book about it called More Than Ghosts. And it, in that book, she discusses not only how to handle residential cases, but right to the beginning of the, the situation, how to form a group, what you should be looking for and other people to come on board with you, how to conduct these investigations. So she's going to talk with us about all that because I think that that's a topic that gets overlooked a lot in the paranormal world. People kind of just take for granted, oh, I'm a paranormal researcher, and people want someone to come to their houses and check them out to see if there's actual activity going on. So what ends up happening is... It's a natural fit where you say, Well, they want help and we want to help people. But they don't take into account all of the ins and outs that are involved with that. They don't take into account the fact that, you know, there's a variety of problems that can come up in that, both with the people that you are investigating in the house, but also within your own group, too. Correct. And we'll get into a lot of that. But I mean, I, I can just tell you that uh, off the top of the show here, I've heard stories about people who have had folks that join their group that went through an interview process, you know, they, they actually tried to vet the person as much as they could. They screen them, you know, they they talk to them. They get an idea of where they're at with paranormal research. They get an idea of some of the other investigations they may have done. Or maybe it's somebody that they've actually worked with on investigations in other situations, maybe going to different events or, or or tagging along with other investigations and say, hey, it seems like a fit for you to join our team. And then only later found out that maybe this person has a criminal past. You think
1: that would have come up in the background check? You would
0: Not everybody can afford to do a background check, though. Not every group can spend the money because to do a thorough, complete background check, you have to pay money yeah. for it. Uh, You can do a Google search for somebody's name and see if they've been arrested and you can see if there's any news stories about them. But if you search pretty much anybody's name, you know, you get all those websites that say, oh, this person has a a record with us. You know, this person has a a file on our website. And so you say, "Okay, well, uh, you know, I got to find out what it is. And you pay twenty six dollars, whatever it is, to find out this person's background. And, you know, all it tells you is that they got a speeding ticket once. Yeah. So it's it's not really cost effective for people to you know be able to to do that kind of screening for every person that joins the group and 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 i think that turns a lot of people off because they want to come into it thinking that uh you know they they want to kind of give people the benefit of the doubt you know i'm weird you're weird we're into weird stuff you want to come and help me (laughs) There's got to
1: be a little something in the back. You
0: know, you know? And, and, and let's face it, we, we know groups that have done this before where somebody says, well, I've got this piece of equipment or I know how to do this or I can build this for you. And all of a sudden, this person becomes a very attractive person to bring into the team because you're saving them a lot of money in terms of research equipment and research, yeah. you know, things that you can pick up along the way. And so it becomes very enticing to say, oh, sure, come on board. Not even take into account that, you know, maybe this person is ripping off somebody else's ideas. Maybe this person is, you know, taking someone's, uh, someone else's equipment and passing it off as their own. You know, there's all these little things that we think that we're so connected in the world of the internet that we can get by with a lot of those things. But it's not necessarily true. It's very easy to get duped by people in the paranormal world. It's very easy to get duped by people on social media because not everybody is sharing who they really are on social media. So there's there's some leeway that you have to be able, willing to grant people on this. I never really fault the group if it turns out that one of their investigators is a criminal or has some sort of a sketchy past or what have you. I don't really always fault them because it's easy to to be blinded by bringing somebody on board and and what it is that they tell you and what it is that they promise you, but Sometimes this with the apple rots from the top. No. Wait, that doesn't sound right. That sounds. I like understand I'm, where you're
1: trying to go with
0: it. Right. I think the what what rots from the top? The fish. The oh. fish rots. A uh, fish rots from the head down. Yeah, I the, don't
1: know. There's. I know the saying you're trying to come
0: up with. I'm going right. to conflate a whole bunch of sayings. But before we, before we uh, get into all of that, let's uh, welcome Sam Baltrusis on the phone. He is the organizer of the Mass Paracon. You also know him as the author of numerous books, and uh, you've seen him on television as well, on shows like Haunted Towns and some other projects as well. Sam, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Sam. How's it going? Oh, we're doing pretty well. Spectacular as we like to say. And I know, that, I know that you've got a busy night, so it won't keep you very long, but uh, we're, we're really getting excited because we're getting closer and closer to the Mass Paracon.
2: Yeah, the Mass Paracon's coming up September 27th. The big day is it's September 28th at the Seven Hills Inn in Lenox, Massachusetts. So it's two days of, of uh, like lectures, ghost tours, a big investigation coming up on Saturday, September 28th at Vinford Hall Gilded Age Museum.
0: And I've been there a few times. Uh, I want to say that, uh, you know, the Berkshires, first of all, is a beautiful place. It is, if you've ever bought a, a, a jigsaw puzzle that said, you know, New England scenery or New England uh, background or whatever, like th- that's probably where they took the photos. You're going to be out in the Berkshires in September, the time when all the foliage changes and all the leaf peepers are out. This is the time of year to really go and visit that area. But also, it has a very haunted history as well, that whole, that whole region.
2: It really does. And, and Vinford Hall, I've actually, I haven't investigated, but I have gone in and I will tell you that place is teeming with spirits. Uh, so I'm, I, I am wicked excited about, uh, hosting the investigation there. And also, uh, with the tickets that we sell for the Vinford Hall investigation, uh, the, it goes directly back to, uh, the restoration and, and, you know, taking care of this historic venue, which is, you know, it's an amazing, amazing location.
0: I mean, when I walked into it for the first time, it was beautiful on the downstairs level. You know, on the main level, you know, it's a museum. They've got all kinds of things. They do tours. It, it's, it's a beautiful spot. But when you, go on, when you went upstairs, they were still in the process of trying to renovate a lot of those rooms and, and trying to turn it back into what it once was. Uh, and, and I think that, first of all, you know, we know that doing that will help uh, increase activity. But also, it gives the paranormal world another... Thing that they can look at and say, "Hey, we helped p- play a part in bringing this back to its former glory."
2: Absolutely, and and you know, like with this location specifically, like they they have been um, diligently trying to restore it back to its original glory. And so every you know every dollar that we raise will go back to uh, the repair. And you know, it's expensive. Like the like bringing a building a structure like this back to its original glory costs you know thousands, probably millions of dollars to do. So. Our little, you know, $50 per, per ticket will go to directly towards the, those restorations.
0: Yeah, it's one thing when you're trying to restore like a, a 1700s home, uh, you know, and, and, and things you can get away with, like putting in wooden benches and things like that. It's a whole different story when you're trying to restore a Gilded Age gilded age mansion. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I also love the fact that, you know, uh, when you go there, you, you really can kind of step back in time. And and stand there like with, when they have the big doors open overlooking the yard, and you can realize like this is what it was like to live at that time, and to to have some money, and to be able to to afford to have the the home and the views that you want. It's a chance for us all to go feel like we're you know Vanderbilts or Rockefellers for a night.
2: Absolutely, I, I um I, 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 that's the part that I love about the whole area because it feels like you're kind of being going back in time uh, to a different era when things were a little bit more. Uh, you know, the Gilded Age, which, of course, is you know we, that's something that um, you know it's it's hard to actually kind of experience that vibe, but it still it still exists out in the Berkshires.
0: And so things are going to kick off on Friday night, September 27th. You've got stuff planned, right? Pretty much from the beginning.
2: Correct. Yeah. So uh, Friday night is going to be the the VIP kickoff party. Uh, we have Roxy Zwicker who's going to be a speaker uh, for the VIP, and also Jeff Bellinger is going to be uh, the main speaker on Friday night. Uh, after we have an add-on to go to the Edith Wharton's the Mounts, which is literally next door to the host the host uh, hotel, and um, beautiful. I, I don't know. Have you been to to the Mounts? No, Edith I never. Wharton's?
0: I never have been. I, I know that Frank, uh, our friend Frank Grace, has been. And he told me it's amazing over there.
2: It's you know it's that you know that is it's breathtaking. So if if you have you know the ability to go, a lot of people on Friday night they just want to kind of you know, have their cocktails and hang out with their with their pair of celeb friends, but I, you know, we're we're doing we're hosting a tour there, and the uh, the tour guide that's been on uh, he's been on Ghost Hunters and various shows. That, you know, when it, when the the Edith Out has been uh, has been featured on those shows, and he's actually going to be, be giving the tour of Edith Out on Friday night.
0: And then uh, also, uh, you know, we talked about the Saturday Night Investigation, but there's there's a full day of activity before we even get to that point.
2: Yeah, so from 10 until 5, we have the event and lecture series. And, of course, Tim, you're going to be one of our featured speakers. Uh, we have John E. L. Tenney, who is the headliner on Saturday, uh, speaking from 4 to 5. So you've got to come out. If you haven't listened to John Tenney speak, you've got to. He's amazing. And uh, from 6.30 to 8, 8, 8 o'clock, we have honoring Lorraine Warren with John Taffis and Andrea Perrin uh, at the Seven Hills End. And then that's like a kind of a VIP gathering for just a small group of people. And then at eight thirty is the investigation at Vinford Hall, which is limited to forty tickets. Uh, we currently have about twenty tickets left for that specifically, so I would recommend getting your tickets sooner than later.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, for anybody that's never been there, uh, it's the perfect time to go. It's the perfect time of year, and uh, and you'll be there with a great group of people. I mean. I know that every time that I go out and investigate with some of the folks that will be there, you know, we always have a good time, but it also seems like activity always seems to to come out, and I don't know what it is about us or the chemistry that we have, or, or maybe it's just the vibe that we're going to be putting out that night uh, of where, you know, we're not going to be there because we're trying to sensationalize anything. We're going to be there because we want to make a connection with the past, and I think that will really help draw some things out.
2: Yeah, for the, the Saturday Night Investigation, we have a team of uh... – some, I don't know, people you may have probably have not worked with. I know you worked with Scott Porter from Haunted Towns before, right. obviously. Mm-hmm. But we also have uh, Richard Estep, who is a fellow author. Uh, who's flying in from Colorado. He's going to be part of the investigation on Saturday night. And then we also have Sarah Limos, who was just featured. She was the psychic on uh, Ghost of Morgan City. So she's going to be part of the investigation as well.
0: And I know some of the folks that have already been reaching out and getting tickets to that, too, are, are great investigators. But if you've never investigated before, if you've never gone on a ghost hunt, perfect time to do it because we'll have plenty of seasoned people there that can help you out. But you also won't be the only you know newcomers to it either, so you can kind of really feel at ease. Uh, and for those people, though, that don't want to investigate on, on Saturday night, if, if maybe that's a little bit too intense for them, uh, you do have something else going on uh, around the same time.
2: Right. So what we're doing at the Seven Hills End is Andrea is kind of doing a, it's called stargazing. So the whole, the land that we're on for this property is beautiful and there's a, a lot of uh, acres of, of woods and uh, outdoor space that we can explore. So the idea with Andrea is to go out with a group and stargaze. And I, I'm not an alien person, but apparently she, uh, Andrea is. So uh, the goal is to connect with either cryptids or aliens or other forms of, of supernatural beings out, out in the, uh, the Berkshires.
0: <laughs> well, uh, certainly it's, it's plenty of stuff for people to do, and then things will wrap up on Sunday. I know that there's always kind of a decompressed breakfast the next morning where everybody kind of shares what's been going on, and uh, that's, that's always a highlight too. But you've also got – there's there's other things in the area that you know aren't associated with the Paracon but are close by enough for people to do on Sunday so they can really make a full weekend out of this. Yeah, so a group
2: of people are actually heading out to. There's a uh, a train ride that goes. It actually, I found out that it doesn't go through the Hoosick Tunnel, and I was told that it did, but unfortunately, it's not. But it's going close to the Hoosick Tunnel. But another another idea is people can actually head over, which is you know, over in North Adams, or even the Florida entrance to the Hoosick Tunnel. People can at least go there and check it out. But just be careful. It's completely pitch dark when you pitch black when you walk inside the Hoosick Tunnel on the Florida. Massachusetts side,
0: right? Don't don't go inside. We have to say that mm. on the radio because the uh, the rail line that owns the tunnel that operates the tunnel doesn't want people going inside. So we're we're legally required here on the radio to tell people don't <laughs> trespass and don't go in there. Wink, wink. But the um, the. <laughs> The other great thing about that area is you are in, you know, you're in the Berkshire. So even if you don't want to take part in any of this, you know, it's, it's it's autumn in New England. It's the perfect thing to do. You can hike Mount Greylock if you want, which is the tallest peak in Massachusetts. There's plenty of uh, great other places to, to visit and see. Uh, for those listening here in New Bedford locally, uh, this is also the place where Herman Melville had a home. So you can go and check out – there's actually – they do tours there, I believe, of the Melville home that's in Lennox, I think. or It's either in Lennox or it's in regular Adams. But it's out there for you to be able to go out there and check that out, too, if that's what you want to do. Certainly plenty to do for the weekend. And it's, and it's, not, it's not a pricey ticket, either, to come and take part in all of this stuff.
2: Well, for this week only, we have uh, what I'm calling a Spooky Pass in honor of your radio show, Spooky South Coast. And the Spooky Pass will get you uh, to the – to the lecture event and lecture series on Saturday from ten until five with vendors, speakers, and uh, you know, of course you speaking 10. And then uh, that also gets you into the investigation on Saturday night uh, for only fifty dollars. So the ticket the ticket the, the goal really for that is all that the money from the spooky pass is going directly a hundred percent to uh Vinford Hall Gilded Age Museum.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, hopefully everybody that's listening will come out and join us. Uh, if they want to get tickets, the easiest way is to go to massparacon.com, right?
2: That's right, Tim.
0: All right, so do that, everybody. Don't hesitate. Only 20 tickets left to investigate at Venford Hall. You're definitely going to want to check this out. If, you, if you're not sure, all I, all I recommend is take tomorrow... And uh, watch the movie The Cider House Rules with Toby Maguire. Is that what it is? Or Elijah? Well, one of those guys. Yeah. I always get him confused. But watch that movie. And by the end of that movie, you'll want to go there because that's where it was filmed. So Absolutely. you can check it out for yourself. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to, to seeing you in a few weeks. All right. Thanks, Sam. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. That is Sam Baltrusis. Again, MassParacon.com is the website to go and uh, and check it out. Moniz, you were at Venford Hall. You, you know firsthand how awesome that place is. That place is awesome. It's big. Not only not only for activity, but just for history too. Like uh, even if you're not somebody who uh, is is that you know, everybody that goes to these conventions, yep. they usually have to bring somebody with them that's not really that into it, and they say, you know, I, I just I just come with her, I just come with him. They're the ones that are really into this paranormal stuff. I'm just here to kind of hang out with them.
1: The architecture in the place is gorgeous. And, and
0: this this investigation, even if you don't care about ghosts. Being in a Gilded Age mansion yep. is worth the price of admission, right there. So uh, come on by and check that out, massparacon.com. Uh, I was talking about it with John Brightman last week. You look at the map and you say, oh, well, from the South Coast, you know, getting out to Lennox is about a four, three and a half, four hour drive. That's unless you're driving with Moniz, and we got there in like an hour and a half. But. <laughs> It's like, you know, a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive from here. Or if you're coming from Boston, I think it's right around the same time, like three-and-a-half, four hours to get out there. You will love the drive. It First of all, it doesn't feel like you're spending that much time trying to get out there. Uh, but you will love taking that ride, especially at the end of September Yeah. when the weather gorgeous. will be perfect, the foliage will be out. You know, and I'm not somebody that – I'm not a leaf peeper. I don't get excited about all the different colors. But when you're driving down the road and, and heading uh, toward Lenox and you, eventually you can't be on the highway anymore and you start taking all the back roads and you get to the part where it says, you know, now we're entering the Berkshires. Like, it's just breathtaking how beautiful it is. I just got to remember to bring my chewing gum with me because my ears yeah. pop yeah. <laughs> with a change of elevation. So uh, anyway, looking forward to seeing everybody there. Uh, now let's get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show. Uh, again, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about residential hauntings, and not so much about the, uh just the ins and outs of it, in terms of uh, how to investigate it and all that stuff. We'll, we'll cover some of that as well. But we're also going to be talking about the actual process of people investigating it, because I think people don't understand that there's more to it.
1: Yeah, I, I want to know about the most important chapter of this book, and that's the section on snack.
0: There's a, a, we got to find out. We got to let's just bring on Alex Matsuo, our guest right now, and ask her about that. Good evening, Alex. How are you? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're doing well here. Uh, Moniz just ate some Taco Bell, and he's already thinking about snacks. So the f- the first question I have is: Do you cover snacks at all in more than ghosts?
3: Uh, I, I hate to say that I, I I do not, but snacks are an important part yeah. of paranormal investigating. So. I I I concur with that.
0: I think I'm going to have to just uh, I'm going to have to finally write the book, Spooky Snack Time, and just have it it be like a recipe book for things that you can eat on an investigation and not eat. Yeah, things to stay away from (laughs) as well. Everybody thinks a Slim Jim is a great idea for an investigation, and then they eat it, and yeah, it's a totally different story. So, uh, Alex, we've had you on the show before, and we've, we've talked. I was talking at the beginning of the show about how you kind of take a, a, a wider picture look at the paranormal world. You don't always uh, get so wrapped up in, in, in the what's and the, in the how's and, and, and all that stuff about the phenomena. Of course you do in, in your work and in your research, but you are also able to take a step back and look at the people that are involved in this world and the people that are the ones that call themselves paranormal researchers. Yes. That would be and, correct. And when you started taking a look at people uh, that are doing this, I mean, what was the thing that stood out to you the most about the folks that are involved in the paranormal world?
3: Ooh, that's a good question. So overall, I love the paranormal community. I think it is probably one of the the most diverse communities around. Uh, There are some who are really rocking it and doing it right and doing the research, putting in the work. And then there's others who might have seen it on TV and thought, oh, hey, this is cool. And they're the go-getters and just jump right on board and they just start doing residential cases and doing investigations without even, uh, without really considering that there's a lot more to it than just, you know, getting in your car and hitting the road and, you know, going to somebody's house and finding ghosts. Uh, It's a lot more complex than that. And... In that way, uh, I see a lot of uh, these types of people getting in trouble. So, at least on the legal aspect,
0: right, right, and and we'll get into that too because there there are some legal things uh, that you have to be aware of when you're doing this. But even even just in putting yourself out there and calling yourself a paranormal investigator or a para- paranormal researcher, you know that would imply to the general public, to people that are looking for somebody that does that, it would imply that you have a firm basis in what it is that you're doing and that you have experience and that you have uh, maybe a few years of, uh, of getting out there and getting your feet wet under your belt already. And that's not always the case. This is a tag that people will put on themselves kind of just because they feel like it.
3: Well, and that's, and that's exactly correct. When you use, I've always said, you know, when you say the word ghost hunter versus paranormal researcher or paranormal investigator, there seems there are different thoughts that come to mind when you hear those terms. And so when you're using these titles, even just ghost hunter, uh, it, it implies that you have some credibility when you are putting yourself out there, whether you intend to or not, you are putting yourself out there as an authority on this topic. And you could say you're just doing it for fun and whatnot, and maybe, you know, you're not as knowledgeable as you want to be, but you're getting there. But putting yourself out there does establish yourself with some sort of authority or or credibility. and. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of people don't really understand that, and then they find themselves in a situation that might get a little too hairy, and, okay, we either need help getting out of the situation, or we're way in over our heads.
0: Now, you know, Jeff Belanger coined a, a term years ago called legend tripping, where basically mm. the idea is that you're going to do this just to be part of the story and to have an experience and to, you know, just kind of trip on the legend. And and that, I think, is a, a great designation for people that are just in this to have fun, that are in this to have an experience, that are in this to have uh, a story to tell other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with just being a legend tripper and saying, this is what I'm into this for. It's a, it's a totally different story if you say to somebody, I'm going to be somebody that makes myself available to help people and to conduct serious research. If you're not prepared to do that, just take that legend tripper tag and run with it.
1: Yeah, it's a casual if- observer
0: mm-hmm yep so no, I agree
3: uh oftentimes we've actually just recently well for me personally I have been doing this for a while but my team recently we just started taking people under our wing who want to get into the other side of ghost hunting or legend tripping and saying hey I want to do this I want to help people in this or I want to lead other people into this adventure and <laughs> when i told them i said okay you know you can hang out with us for about a year or so and then you know we can go on from there if you really want to go through with this and they're like oh wait a year and i'm like yeah it's gonna, mm-hmm. if, if you really want to observe what we do you're not going to get an idea of what the work is like in a month or two months three months it's going to be about a year right
0: uh, and especially considering it's not like you can go out every night and investigate either
3: No, and I don't know
0: anyone who wants to do that. (laughs) I I mean, I hear these groups that say, oh, we've we've conducted over 500 investigations. (laughs) Well, if you have, something's wrong. Because, first of all, like, I don't want to judge you on a personal basis, but what the hell is your social life and family life like if you have that kind of time? Mm -hmm. You know, 500 investigations, if you're giving them the amount of time that you really should be, You know, I would think you'd be lucky if you could conduct 52 investigations in a year. You know, if you're going out every Saturday night and doing an investigation, and and even that would be surprising that somebody could dedicate that much of their time to being able to do it.
3: Well, and not only that, but what are you putting out from that work? What are the fruits of that work? Um, You know, are you going through your data after the investigation's over? Are you working with the people who who you are calling your clients? What are you producing out of that work or are you just doing it just to do it? There's a huge difference in that when you look at the titles of Paranormal Researcher, Paranormal Investigator, Ghost Hunter, Legend Tripper, Researcher, Presenter. I mean, there's all sorts of different expectations out of that and for me I can't I can't do that many investigations. <laughs> I think I'm limit I limit myself to just so many per year because I want to put in my energy and give it the uh, and give it the amount of energy that it deserves. So,
0: and and really, yeah. ideally, you should be spending time before you investigate, like actually reaching out to people and uh, you know people that are going to be involved with the, the case and, and getting to know them and getting to know their situation. It shouldn't just be. Uh, this person wants us to come and investigate, and we're going to show up at their house at eight o'clock on Saturday night. And by eight thirty, we're going to be, you know, knee deep in the investigation. And I think that a lot of groups look at things and they say, because we've got such limited time to do this, we've got to jump right into the investigative part. But the the actual, I guess we'll call it the location investigation, is only part of the actual research. Yep. Oh
3: yeah, the investigation itself is just a. Uh... I don't want to say the sliver because it's a little bigger than a sliver, but, you know, you have your historical research. You have your research that, you know, where you're looking at what other teams have done there because I think that's important because if they made a mistake somewhere, you don't want to repeat it. If they did something that worked, you might want to try that. Um, And then there's the after part of it. You know, you're going through that data. You're going through the video. You're going through the audio. You're going through interviews, interviews, So many parts of this and the investigation is just one part out of several
0: I mean and also uh, this is just my opinion maybe maybe you feel differently or maybe some other groups feel differently but you should also have some time to spend with your team outside of investigating you know go out and go bowling Mm -hmm. together go out and have dinner do stuff that helps you build chemistry as a group because a lot of times people get involved in this with people that they don't know until they find out that they have a shared love of the paranormal and that's what kind of brings them together. And you need to kind of really develop some bonds because you're going to be put into situations where you have to trust each other explicitly.
3: Yep. Oh, I agree. I'm actually trying to get my team to do a, uh, go, um, a, uh, axe throwing. <laughs> an axe throwing activity. It's a I lot of fun. got an axe throwing recently. And uh, I'm like, guys, we have to do this. So, uh, and we have a pretty big uh, project happening in october that's basically going to take up every weekend in october so we're going to try to do this before then you know what you know when we're having those moments where we might be ready to kill each other it's like oh yeah i love this person <laughs> they're my people
0: and if anybody wants to try hatchet throwing there's uh go to seize the deal.com we got some some uh, half price deals for stumpy's hatchet house here at wbsm if you want to check that out but uh that i mean it's a really great thing to do because not only does it you know, uh, help you kind of relieve stress and kind of help you get any of the angst out. Uh, Also, it really, like, shows you, hey, wait a minute, I'm not going to piss off that person in my group. They're really good at throwing a hatchet.
3: (laughs) Yep, that's right.
0: They need to set
1: one of those up in Fall River.
0: They do. That's where Stumpy's is. Stumpy's Hatchet House is in Fall River, about, about a mile or so from the Lizzie Borden house. They have a big picture of Lizzie Borden painted on the wall, too. It's uh it's an awesome place. Off to take you, Moniz. You'll yeah. love it. It's amazing.
3: That that is uh so hilarious and irreverent at the same time.
0: <laughs> it's it's the perfect place to do it. I mean and uh and really when you're standing there with Lizzie Borden watching you, like you really wanna up your hatchet throwing game. Yeah. You know, like here's the master <laughs> standing over us. She got away with it. So uh for- <laughs> If that can happen, then we we really got up our game. But I like it. I mean, you talked about you know your group doing stuff like that outside of there. Uh, your personal group are you people that came together over the paranormal, or are you people that knew each other outside of this?
3: Uh, I would I would have to say it was we came together because of the paranormal. So I, I run a meetup group here in Raleigh, North Carolina. The tri- what we call the Triangle because we got Durham and Chapel Hill and. Well, that's you know those areas. So a lot of these people actually came to my meetup, and then it was more like, "Oh, hey, I like you. You you seem to like me. We seem to get along. Uh, you want to join? Want to join the team?" <laughs> um, and you know, I've had members who I've connected with on a non paranormal level too, and I've always really valued that. Um, whether it's Disney or just history in general or theater. Um, having having those bonds and having that way to connect outside of the ghost stuff I think is really important, and Leslie mentioned and building trust and also just building rapport with each other and you know i mean i I brought one of my team members with me for some person for for some things in my personal life because we have a connection that expands beyond that paranormal uh, that paranormal life
0: so, i mean I know in the group too i mean in the in the book rather. Uh, in, in some of the description that I read, you actually mentioned about you know what how it is to form a team. What should be involved in forming a team? Uh, for those out there that are thinking about doing this, that are thinking about wanting to get involved in paranormal research, maybe they've been doing a little bit of book research over the years, or they've been you know of course as we mentioned before watching the television shows, but what have you? Whatever it is that draws their interest into getting involved in doing this, let's just say that they feel that they're at a personal point where they're ready to get out there and do this do you recommend that people find an established group to try to join first or do you recommend people look into starting their own
3: so the way i started was a bit on i guess kind of both i had contacted a few local teams in my area and i said hey i'm thinking about doing this you know or becoming more involved in this would it be okay if i shadowed you or would it be okay if I came to some of your meetups, or I came to some of your investigations, and I just laid it out ahead of time with my intentions, because if I didn't want to join the team full-time, full I didn't want to waste anyone's time, mm-hmm. uh, and a few of them were cool with me, you know, kind of tagging along and shadowing, and, you know, I paid my dues, too. You know, I was sitting there fixing equipment. That's actually how I learned to, you know, fix audio recorders, was someone from a team handed me their audio recorder that was busted and said, hey, put this back together. And, (laughs) um, you know, I had to pull in my experience from theater putting microphones back together. And, uh, you know, so so paying my dues through that. And I learned a lot from shadowing because I learned what I really loved about these teams and what worked well for them. I also learned what didn't work for them. Because uh, I mean paradrama can be found almost anywhere <laughs> in mm-hmm. any group, no matter how well a group gets along sometimes there 's a little bit of drama there, and that's and that 's probably the biggest lesson I learned is hey that 's okay if it happens, but I was able to take the little bits and pieces that I got from these other teams and created my <laughs> own because ultimately, I kind of wanted to be my own boss in this because i'm i'm busy, and I needed something that was going to be flexible and you know when you're all when you're when you are your own boss you can kind of give yourself the time off you need
0: right exactly and and i've always recommended to people too like it's good to like you said watch an experienced group see how they do things see what you like and don't like about the way that they do things. Uh, but also you get an idea of what's involved beyond, you know, things that you didn't think of. Like you don't think about the fact that, all right, equipment's going to break. Somebody's got to fix it. Somebody's got to show up and, and, and scout the location ahead of time. Somebody's got to interview the person uh, who is having you come in and give them kind of a little bit of a, a, a psych eval before you get involved in all this stuff. Like all these little things that you wouldn't normally think of until you see it. In action. And for anybody that ever says to me, well, you know, I've I've tried to get involved in in local groups and get them to let me shadow, but none of them will let me come along. My advice to that is just tell them, hey, can I come on your next investigation? I'll bring pizza. And -hmm. if you say that, they will absolutely let you come along nine times out of ten. Yep. Yep. Uh, But that but you're right. You know, don't just stand there and, 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 and watch. Uh, and say, you know, all right, I'm just going to hide back here in the corner because then you're not really making the the most of that opportunity either. Say to them, okay, let me help you. Let me help you lay out some of these cords. Let me help you wrap some of this stuff. Show me how you do this. You know, little things like that are how you're going to learn, like, to tape wires against the wall instead of leaving them in the middle of the floor. Things that, uh, you know, are the the small little cornerstones of, of investigating safely that you just wouldn't think of because you've never Mm -hmm. encountered it before. So let somebody else's mistakes that came before you help guide you in how you're going to do things.
3: And that's a big thing that's in more than ghost too. I, I kind of do something a little unconventional because you know, most people who write books, especially paranormal books, we want to establish ourselves as, Hey, we're, I hate to use the word experts in this, but it's like, Hey, we, we know our stuff. Um, I'm credible in this. Um, but for me, I'm like, hey, I'm here, I'm here in this place now, but here's where I messed up. Don't do what I did. <laughs> right. So that's what, I cover that more than go. So I do have some stories of where I either got really lucky in a situation or, hey, I almost got in trouble because I didn't know better. Now you know better. Don't do what I did.
0: I've actually gotten away from the idea, too, of, like, we can't call ourselves experts. You know, sure we can, because you might not be an expert in exactly what it is, because we don't know what the phenomena is, but you can be an expert in what it is that we're talking about tonight. You know, you can be an expert in how to investigate. You can be an expert in, you know, how to manage a group. You can be an expert in how to get along with other people. I mean, these are all things that are are, are part of the process. And and so, certainly, I have no problem, you know, uh, referring to you as an expert as such, the problem is, is even if you are an expert in this, you, you got to get people to listen. And and mm-hmm. I think that that's probably going to be the most frustrating thing is you could hand out a copy of this book free to everybody that ever wants to become a paranormal investigator and still a majority of the people aren't going to listen. Right. right. I, I I don't know what it is about this particular field of research, this particular. Well, I mean, let's call it what it is, this hobby that. Mm-hmm. will go into it feeling like they know everything already and that they, there's no humility involved in in this for a lot of people.
3: Yes, and that is especially true uh with many teams, especially the newer teams I've noticed, like the teams that are, you know, I would say less than 4 years old. Um and I don't know if it's just I don't know if it's because of the time or what's going on um But I I work with a lot of, uh, I work with a lot, and I network with a lot of people. And especially for when I'm doing cases, because, I mean, I don't know everything. (laughs) I don't know everything when it comes to phenomenon. And if I'm stumped, I reach out to people and I say, hey, this is what's happening. You know, what's your opinion on how to go about this? Um, And a lot of these people are from the older days of ghost hunting. I would say even pre-Ghost Hunters, the TV show. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking like, you know, 80s, 90s era. And I, I, I still have a lot to learn from these people because they, and they also grew up and were doing this in a very different era, a very different time of, in, of communication. So, I mean, these podcasts and videos and the internet, <laughs> the internet in general. Uh, they didn't have that, so their research came from field experience and reading books mainly, and maybe watching a TV special here and there. So um, I find that I'm gravitating towards them when I'm stumped on certain situations because they have a different wealth of knowledge that i I didn't really ha- I didn't really experience.
0: So. I mean, my co host tonight, Matt Moniz, uh, well, not tonight, but, you know, every show, but he's here with me tonight. Uh, Matt Moniz has been in this field for a long time. You know, uh, he got involved in this when you were like, what, 15, 16 years old, yeah. and, and now you're 70. So you've been involved <laughs> in this for, a, I, I tease him, but you've been involved in this well before this was something that people were watching on TV. And before you could network with people over the internet, and you, you, you kind of just had before to. Before there
1: was an internet, yeah.
0: And you had to just meet people where you met people.
1: Well, back in my day i'm a i'm 52 so i was doing it back in the early 80s mm-hmm. and it, back then all you had were books and uh the occasional and i mean very occasional little conference or uh lecture done by an individual i remember the um the books were were the way to go because you could find them in the library, and what mm-hmm. you do is you wrote to the publisher. The publisher would then forward your information on to the author, and then the author would hopefully eventually write you back, if you were lucky, right? And uh,
0: I, you were fortunate enough, though, to hook up with somebody locally that you yes. could actually shadow and learn from.
1: Yes, in the late eighties, I was able to hook up with uh, Maurice, who actually got involved, who was involved with the Ryan Institute and the, those people, and I got a chance to learn from people that learn from the actual what what we're calling professionals back then and then in the mid 90s i watched a lot of um tv shows start popping up and the interest started getting you know more and more with you know like tv shows like sightings and of course the x files was a big boost mm-hmm. and then it was like oh i can talk about this stuff without seeming that crazy anymore
0: right. You can use the pop culture aspect of it as you're in to start the discussion with people. Uh, But that's, you know, not everybody's lucky enough to find uh, a mentor these days because there's people that just don't want to do that. There's people that don't want to take the time to take somebody under their wing uh, and teach them. And, And Alex, you were mentioning that social media helps give rise to a lot of these people. I think another thing that gives rise to a lot of these people, there's two things that I'm seeing. Uh, that have a, a big influence on this, and and we can get into this maybe after the news break because we're going to have to take a break mm-hmm. for the news in, in a few minutes, but one is the fact that everybody can kind of produce their own, whether it be a radio show, television show, what have mm-hmm. you, everybody can do that now from their own living rooms and yep. put themselves out there as a paranormal personality. And then the other thing, you know, we mentioned the Mass Paracon at the beginning of the show, but the rise of these conventions has read, has led to the rise of this... This uh, almost like a hollow stardom where people can get mm-hmm. out there and, and get on the lecture circuit without really having a lot of stuff to lecture about. And um, yep. it's it's concerning, but we can get into all that uh, coming up uh, after the news. Uh, when we when we take that break, of course, uh, you'll see on Spooky TV, you'll see the we'll just put the logo up there and uh, there'll be a few minutes of blank space there. But here on the radio, people will hear the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll continue the discussion. Uh, during the break, Alex, if people want to find out more about you, how can they go find out about you and how can they pick up a copy of More Than Ghosts?
3: Uh, they can find me at alexmatsuo.com. They can also type in my name on Amazon and More Than Ghosts should pop up. It should be one of the first
0: results. And, uh, how, how long has the book been out for?
3: Uh, it's been out for a couple of years now. Um, actually, well, actually almost four years now. So, um... I'm actually. I might be looking into updating it pretty soon. I'm actually putting out a new book this uh, later this fall. Um, I guess you could say it's kind of the companion book to More Than Ghosts. It's uh It's a. It's called the A Brave Mortal's Guide to Ghost Hunting. So basically, a beginner paranormal book.
0: I, li- I like that title, and I really think too that people uh, will. It'll resonate with people when we get into the, the next hour. Even if you are somebody who is an experienced investigator, you know, and you have something that you want to kind of chime in with, it's okay to call in 508-996-0500. Just keep it on topic tonight. Uh, generally, we kind of like let things go and we have kind of like a uh, an open philosophy where people can kind of talk about whatever they want to when it comes to the paranormal. But tonight, we want to keep things on point because we are having this discussion and there's a lot left to cover Coming up in the next hour, including how to form a group if you're going to do that, how you should look into starting one, what what kind of people you should be looking to, how to avoid some of these situations that we've been talking about. And then we'll get into the real heart of the situation. What happens when somebody wants you to come to their house and help them with what they think is a paranormal problem? How should you approach that? How should you handle that? and uh, And Alex, I know that that 's the part where people get into the most trouble that 's where people end up falling on their face, and as you 've mentioned that 's where kind of groups can can fall apart so we 'll mm-hmm. get into all that coming up and We want everybody to know too that as we get into what we call the spooky season, I think we 're into it now yeah. i mean it 's september i 'm counting it feels like fall out there, so i 'm calling it fall. But uh, we'll have all kinds of things going on. I'll be at some libraries giving some different lectures. We're trying to put together a few events before the end of October. So uh, stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com and we will announce all that. I can tell you this. I'm working on uh, a return to North Andover to the Parson Barnard House, so we'll have more information on that uh, coming up a little bit later on this week, maybe even as soon as tomorrow. So just stay tuned to southcoast.com for all of that, and of course, follow me and the, the show on social media. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
2: Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more download the paranormal radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment the paranormal radio app free in google play and the ios app store
0: Welcome back, our number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. We are talking about residential hauntings and how to handle them, the challenges that come with them, but also the rewards that you can get from them as well. With our guest, Alex Matsuo, she's the author of the book, More Than Ghosts. And uh, we were talking in the first hour a little bit about kind of how some of these paranormal teams come to be these days. Uh, But Alex, uh, one of the things that I think people don't understand when they're trying to put together their own group, or when they're trying to join a group, or what have you, is that um, it shouldn't really be about the group itself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't be about it shouldn't be a, a power trip for anybody. It shouldn't be an ego boost for anybody. I mean, you should be forming a group where everybody kind of has the mindset of it's about the work
3: oh i wholeheartedly agree um i find that in the paranormal community there's kind of an ego problem (laughs) and i find that this ego problem can be rather inhibiting for a team and uh, especially when it comes to local groups and whatnot i keep hearing the stories of oh my gosh it's all about the competition we're always competing with another group and i'm like what exactly are you competing with you know are right. you competing for space? are you competing for clients like what's going on here um, but yeah, going into it i mean i I chose the people that I chose because they were passionate about the work, and you know, I know there's some teams that will only take people if um you know if they ha if they you know look a certain way or they can present themselves a certain way, they can put on a performance of whatnot because they have this brand and this image that they want to uh, maintain. And for me, I'm like, if you're passionate about the paranormal, uh, you want to do the work. That's the biggest thing. You want to do the work and you pass the background check. Yeah. You know, I, you know, let's give this a try. Anybody who's been on the team who first joins the team is usually on a three month trial basis. So it's, so even after, you know, you sign the paperwork to be on the team, you're still not a, a full on member until three months from your join date because we really want to make sure that this is the right fit, not just for us, but just but for you too because you could join my team and you find, you know, I'm not really clicking with these people and then that gives you a way out. So,
0: so during that probationary period when people are kind of uh, feeling everything out and you're feeling them out as well, uh, are there any particular red flags that you look for with the way that people uh, interact with both you and those who call you in for investigations
3: uh flakiness is a big one so you say that you're going to be there for x y and z and then something comes up last minute i know life can happen but if it keeps happening you know when it comes to like the third or the fourth case and something's happening there's a problem there but i've also noticed because you know when you're on a paranormal team as anyone who's been on a team sometimes you do get attention Um, If you're showing up for the times that it's a publicity, it's a publicity opportunity, but you're not showing up for, like, the residential cases or doing the work behind the scenes, that's a red flag. (laughs) Right. Um, And also not taking into consideration and carefully choosing your words when you're interacting with clients. We're not there to terrify a client. We're not there to scare people. Uh, we're not there to say, you got a demon in your house. We're not there to say, you know, to give an unsolicited psychic reading, you know, when I have my mediums, you know, on site to do the work. Um, So just telling the client things that they shouldn't be telling the client and also just kind of doing their own thing because – I guess you can call me a control freak in this way, but anytime like my, the client or uh, um, one of my team members, like my medium or anyone wants to say something to a client, they have to clear with me and my case manager. Right. I was first. just going
0: to ask you that. I was going to say, like, do you feel that every person that's part of the investigation, that's part of the team that you are there uh, representing, do you feel like if they speak to somebody, they should be acting as if they're speaking for the entire team? Or, yes. or should they be considering that, that, that when they speak, that they are speaking for the entire team?
3: Absolutely. Uh, I always tell my team members, when you are on an APS investigation, you are a representative of APS. People see you and they see the title, they see the name, and people will look up APS and they'll see my name associated with that. And there's nothing more important and valuable in the paranormal community than your good name. So that's something where if you speak you are a representative of APS. Even if you say, this is just my personal opinion, that person's still going to be thinking, well, they got on this team somehow. So uh, I'm very, very uh, adamant about that.
0: So then that being said, then, if, 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 if anybody should consider the fact that they're, when they speak, they're speaking for the group, then do you think that a group needs to have the same philosophical... Um, approach to things? Does does everybody have to kind of be in harmony with what you think about certain theories or certain approaches to investigation?
3: Uh, It depends on the situation. There are some things that we do disagree on when it comes to certain school of thoughts with the paranormal, but luckily it's usually in terms of, you know, if we're talking um, demons, I guess I hate to use the word demons, but that's a big, that's a good example because we're all kind of on different schools of thought when it comes to demons which Mm -hmm. is actually a good thing for us um and so because i welcome diversity and i welcome differing opinions but when we're on a residential case we have to be one unit so even if we have to go off site and duke it out of like an ihop or something we have to come back as a united front
0: Right. So it's okay to disagree, but you should never disagree. Uh, and The client should never know that there's a disagreement. You know, you can have that argument internally, but when it comes to dealing with the person who wants you there in the first place, that should be a united front. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I, I wish it worked like that in, in life, let alone <laughs> just in paranormal <laughs> research, but...
3: Duke it out at IHOP and, you know, will be okay.
0: <laughs> Do you have a process that you go through for pre-screening somebody that wants to join you in terms of, you know, finding out any kind of issues that they may have, any legal problems that they may have?
3: Yeah, we actually have a form that, uh, you, that the client fills out online if they want us to uh, come in and investigate. Uh, let me pull, I'll actually um, pull that up and I'll link it in the, in the chat box. So we ask for their name, email, their address, you know, very, very simple things, but then we ask them what do you need from us? Do you need an investigation from us? Do you want advice from us or do you just need to talk to somebody? We offer all that. Um, we ask where everything where are the phenomenon's happening. If you've consulted anybody before you talk to us, because th- during some more complicated cases there tends to be a breadcrumb trail and we try to follow the breadcrumb trail. And we ask them to describe the activity, when it started, um, if law enforcement's been called or if they're seeing a doctor about it, if the case involves children, um, if anyone else has had experiences, their religious affiliation, um, what they want us to do uh, by the end of the investigation. So establishing those expectations, um, urgency. We also ask about medication. Technically, they don't have to disclose the medication part to us, right. but we do ask. It's, it's, it's nice to know uh, because um, sometimes medication might explain some of the phenomenon. Um, we also ask, you know, if anyone's using drugs or narcotics, illegal, legal drugs, uh, or any paraphernalia. Uh, we also, the final question on our form is, hey, would you, would, are you willing to accept the possibility that your haunting could be debunked? um if you say no that doesn't disqualify you from getting from getting an investigation but it lets us know where where you're at in your in your in your uh position so
0: you know i always i made this reference before on the show but it bears repeating again you know people always ask me what's the most important book they can have to be a paranormal investigator and you know some people will look at Uh, you know, Hans Holzer books, or some people will look at some of the books by the Warrens or what have, like what's the one book you need to have in your library if you're a paranormal investigator. And I always say it's the big book of pills because you need to Mm -hmm. be able to look up what these medications are. And listen, I know that we want to not be snoopy when we go into somebody's house, but it's okay. If they call you in for an investigation, open up the medicine cabinet because nine times out of 10, you can solve a lot of what's going on just by some of the things that you see there. It doesn't mean that it's it's the reason why, but at least it gives you an idea of what it is that you're dealing with. But what about for the people that join your team? What do you do to kind of pre-screen them, the people that want to become investigators alongside you? Uh, is it just a matter of Googling their name and seeing what comes up, or do you go into some deep deeper uh, background checks? Uh,
3: we do uh, do a background check uh, because, I need to know, (laughs) like, have you been convicted of of anything? Um, If you have something spotty on your background check, that's not... It it depends on what the charge was. I mean, if we're talking theft or um, pedophilia or anything like that, you might be disqualified. Um, But if we're talking like, you know, you drove without a license for two months, eh, and you learned your lesson, eh, you know. Uh, But I do also... Uh, do a search on Google. Um, I think that's important. I check out your Facebook page. <laughs> I check out your Facebook page, your Twitter, your Instagram, because uh, I want to get to know who you are. Uh, because you know, when you're on an interview or you're trying to join a team, you are going to present yourself as some as as an ideal candidate, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but I, it gives me an opportunity to get to know you. Uh, you know, outside of the paranormal realm and uh, yeah, and we also go through um, the interview process. I, If they haven't already joined the meetup group, I make them join the meetup group, and they need to attend at least three meetups before uh, before I will consider having them on the team. Uh, mainly that's for the commitment. Like, if you can commit to attending a meetup every month, that's awesome because, hey, we have a meetup every month. We also have a team meeting every month. so. We're taking up at least two days of your month per month, and that's if we don't have any cases going on.
0: I, I mean, so. I would like to think that you, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt to some degree, you know, certain things that might show up, uh, as, uh, as Turtle Boy Sports calls them, Google trophies. You know, when uh, mm-hmm. when you find those, those reports of something about the person, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But we see way too often of people that find things out about people that are on their teams well after they've already been part of their teams. And it's, it's not like they find out that they are, um, you know, uh, somebody who's written a bunch of bad checks or, uh, you know, somebody who has a, a history of, you know... Uh, menace it, on the road. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, it, uh, yeah, traffic violations. It's always, like, really, really bad stuff that we find out. Uh, we find out that there's people that have history of, of sexual assault, of, mm-hmm. of theft of things that make me think that when I look at some of the charges against some of these people or some of the convictions that some of these people have had, it makes me think that there's something about what it is that we do that draws that kind of person into wanting to be part of this. Are we giving right. a thief easy access into somebody's house in the dark? Are we giving a, a pedophile easy access into a home where there may be children? So it's it's very concerning that, that people that have a criminal past Are gravitating toward this this hobby
3: yeah and I actually had a situation where my personal safety got threatened um, from a candidate and um, and several years have passed since it happened but um, this this was one of the things that really made me tighten up our screening process because at the end of the day I shouldn't have even interviewed this individual he ended up being somebody that i did i after he he his application looked great and but he never put in a street address and i'm like okay well that's a little funky but you know some people are maybe some people don't want their address out there sure. i i get it um and so i interviewed him and i realized eh, i don't think this is somebody i really want on the team he ended up talking smack about a group that i really respected and that's a red flag for me Um, It's okay to disagree, but when you're going on a 20-minute rant about how they're not credible and, you know, it's a little different from my personal experience, but just talking smack, um, or as I say, talking mess, Um, and then, you know, making some claims, uh, extraordinary paranormal claims that when I asked them, like, well, how did you come to that conclusion, they couldn't give me an answer, and I just didn't think it was going to work, and the person barely gave me two days to respond because I told him, I said, you're going to need to give me about a week or two because I have to, you know, think, I have to need to think about it. I need to talk to my team members and X, Y, and Z. This person didn't even give me two days and they totally went crazy on me, um, sending me threatening text messages, um, texting me my address and saying they were going to come, at come, you know, come for me at my door and Making some really disturbing threats, and I ended up having to get a restraining order against them. And, uh, that was, a, that was a pretty terrifying time in my life, especially when you start texting me my address and making really, um, disturbing threats, you know, against my safety. Uh, so, and then I found out he got on a team. He got on a local team a few months later, and, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, how did he get, how did he get that far? And I ended up, um, I ended up emailing the director of that team with the text messages and the restraining order um, and all that stuff. And then this person ended up, the person that was making threats against me, ended up getting arrested a few months later for trying to steal stuff at Walmart. So, wow. you know, listen to your gut. Your gut's a good indicator, too, because I got the creepy vibe from the person. And, yeah, so yeah. it wasn't fun.
0: And and here's what's funny about this that I don't think people understand you don't have to be an equal opportunity employer. You don't what? have to give somebody a spot on your team if you don't feel that it's right. There's, It's not like it's applying for a job. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying discriminate against people, but there's no reason why you should have to... It's not a job where you have to work with people sometimes that you don't get along with. You control the situation, and if somebody... St- doesn't strike you as as being a right fit or if maybe somebody in your group isn't comfortable with somebody there's no harm in saying sorry i don't think this is going to work out yep
3: look
1: yeah i was going to say i look at it this way it's like forming a band you have to make sure that you all gel together and can perform Mm -hmm. you know to produce music there's no guarantee that you have the spot as the drummer or what have you
0: so, with with that in mind, uh, you know, with with those kind of circumstances out there, and we've heard other stories like that. Unfortunately, uh, there it's almost like it's come up again and again and again, where there have been organizations that have been formed or groups that have tried to put together this idea of having um, national paranormal databases where people can share information about hauntings, there's been people who have pitched trying to put together some sort of licensing to be able to investigate Mm -hmm. the paranormal. I think in general, what would be the most helpful is if there's just a website of red flag people that are involved in the field with evidence, you know, where we can say like, hey, we're not saying that this person is a bad person. We're just saying that this is what we have found. And so it's not it's not a slanderous thing, or actually libelous if it's a website, but it's not, it's not libelous. We're just putting this out there for people that might not know this information otherwise.
3: hmm No, I agree. Uh, because, I mean, like, with my, like, for example, with the situation with the person that I had to get the restraining order against, um, it wasn't very long until they were doing the same thing to that team um, after he got out of jail. Um, I find that the patterns are very similar but even for somebody not you know not you know possessing a criminal record or being mentally unstable um, I've had encounters with people where you know you don't want to talk smack about somebody but then you know they do and then somebody does something to me and I talk to a colleague about and they're like oh yeah I knew that about them and I'm sitting here like well why didn't you warn me right yeah (laughs) Why don't you give me a heads up? I mean, just say, hey, heads up, this person did X, Y, and Z to me, you know, just so you know.
0: (laughs) Because it's one thing. Listen, it's one thing if somebody does something to you or somebody on your team. I mean, in a way, you can almost say to yourselves, all right. Lesson learned or, you know, maybe you even can say to yourself, you know, we, we need to protect ourselves better. We, we left ourselves open for that. But it's a completely different story when you're bringing that person into somebody else's home, when they're trusting you to come in. And even if it's something as stupid as someone had loose change on their dresser and you investigated and when your team left, that change was gone. You know, mm-hmm. that somebody demeaned your team and devalued your team so much that they would uh that they would be willing to take change off of somebody's dresser. I've heard everything from that to people outright stealing very expensive items out of homes while they're in there doing private investigations. And I I don't first of all, I don't know how that happens. Because right why would you do something like that that's just so stupid? But second well, of all...
3: especially there's cameras. It, it, well, usually yeah. there should be cameras. You would <laughs> hope so, yeah. <laughs> From your own group.
0: But you would think your own teammates would be like, okay, how'd that TV end up into our van? You know, like, <laughs> what's going on here? That isn't one of yeah. our monitors. Right, but it happens. It, it happens where people have been, you know, steal and And, and listen, it's never it well i shouldn't say never because we've heard of other stories but more often than not it's stuff that's downright creepy so it's so that homeowner has to make the awkward phone call of saying uh after you guys came here my teenage daughter said she was missing underwear from her drawer you know it's always something weird like that it's never hey you know what happened to that uh, faberge egg we had on the I, I went back to risky business for that. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it's not something like that, but it's like it's always something weird and creepy that has to make it an extra level of uncomfortable for you to address with your team.
3: Yep. Yep. Um, we kind of have paperwork already for the client set up um, in terms of expectations to help avoid that. Um, I do ask the client if they want to remove all the valuables from their home. Um, and oh, this isn't a commentary on my trust in my team, but I'm also looking to protect our, for, to protect us because on the opposite end of that, I have heard of teams in legal trouble because the client tries to stage something like, oh, you stole my TV or you stole my, you know, $2,000 wedding ring. Um, and then they try to file it, you know, for insurance purposes. <laughs> well, <I laughs> you know, never so even thought of that. Insurance fraud. Oh, yeah. yeah. Works both so, ways. Um, so I actually have paperwork that says I'm going to remove the valuables from my home, um, and we create an I, I actually did have a client do this. We created an itemized list of their valuables, and it took a long time. It took uh, it took an extra couple weeks because I don't want to get in trouble. Um, the client also has the choice to check off, I am not going to remove the valuables from my home, and I will not hold APS accountable if anything is missing. Granted, no <laughs> – I'm pretty confident that no one on my team is going to steal anything, but this does protect us um, right. if, if something does go missing or if something is broken. Um, you know, it's kind of it's very similar to what movers will have. You know, when they're you know moving items in your home, you know, because of damage and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, so we so we do that for our protection right there. And but trust me, if I ever if I ever found out one of my team members was stealing stuff, they were going to they'd be gone and they'd be paying out of pocket for their own stuff but we all for but for our paperwork um we do have a notary sign so this is like really official
0: (laughs) well there there's listen there's been a case that i heard of of a group and this was the entire group this wasn't one person that was behind this this was the entire group that was in on this
3: Mm
0: -hmm. where you know those you know those hummel figures Mm -hmm. So so some of those can get worth a lot of money, the individual Hummels. And there was a case that I'd heard about. I don't know for sure. This is just a story that I've heard third hand, but that a group went into somebody's home and saw that this person had a a collection of these Hummels. And one of the Hummels was one of those very, very valuable ones. And somebody on the team happened to know that. So this person was convinced that there was some sort of activity happening in their house. And the group. Convinced the homeowner that it was the very expensive hummel that was the source of the haunting that something had attached oh, itself Lord. to that hummel and 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 said we can take this from you and take it out of your home and put it in our quote unquote collection our museum, and then went and sold it <laughs> oh wow that's sneaky so i just want to I just want to say yeah. that to anybody out there that uh that is You know, looking for a paranormal investigation or has somebody come in and thinks that they have a haunted object or a haunted item. uh, There's a few reputable people that I would give it to if you want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And people that will, you know, outright let you know exactly what they're doing with it. Uh, And really, the only people that I would ever give anything to are John Zafis and uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk because Mm -hmm. they will be fully transparent with with where those items are going. I know some other people that have some some collections that I would trust, but I don't know that they take things from other people, so I don't want to put their names out there. But generally, like, if somebody tells you that they need to take an item from your house, you should really be very weary about somebody saying that, because chances are it's not going to be put on display in a haunted museum somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's uh some uh, and somewhere somebody's like, damn, that was my hummel. Somebody's listening to the show <laughs> and being like, I was the idiot that gave them that hummel. But um, yeah, so ah, that's, that's terrible. But it oh, happened. My- I mean, that's the thing is like you have to be in a very trusting place as a homeowner to let a paranormal group come into your home. You have oh to, my gosh, yeah. You're the one that... I mean, I know that it's dangerous for a group to go in there because you never know really what you're getting into with the people that invite you into their homes. But really, the biggest risk is on the homeowner.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, that's. <laughs> I've always said that people who need ghost hunters are not in their right mindset. And I mean that as a joke, truly. But, you know, you're asking some strangers to come into your home and you're telling them your life story, pretty much. You're telling... That seems some really personal things about your life, which you should be doing because, you know, we're kind of like detectives here. We're trying to figure out what's going on here and why it's happening. Um, but we get to know these people sometimes on an, on an intimate level. Like we learn about any abuse that the, or trauma they encountered in their past or recently. Um, we see their emotions. They become completely vulnerable before us many times. And, and I, I hope, um, because I have a really great case manager, she's actually a social worker. Um, so she builds a lot of rapport with the client ahead of time. Um, and I, and I think she does a really good job of that because every client that has met her in person has always been very like, Oh, I'm so happy to see, you know, they, they hug her. So I know, and that's why she's my case manager, because I know they're in very, the clients are in very good hands when I hand off the case submission to them. Uh, so it's definitely one of those situations where I have my social worker who's my case manager. She helps build the rapport and helps, you know, build up our reputation a bit, and then that's followed through with the actual investigation where I step in and more of an active role in this Um But I think, and I think that really helped in getting us to connect to the client more because they are trusting us with some really personal information. And you want them to feel safe and comfortable sharing that stuff. Um, But, you know, at the same time, you are asking, you know, five or six strangers to come into your home. So I think the more you can build that rapport and build that relationship ahead of time, it, it helps because you'll, you'll know if you're talking to a team about coming in, I mean, you'll know if you connect with them or not.
0: So, well, and you had mentioned asking the, the homeowner about their, uh, about their religious background and religious beliefs. What happens if the way that you investigate conflicts with their own personal beliefs. So so maybe, and I'm just using this as an example, I'm not saying a group does this, but maybe you use Ouija boards in your investigation and the homeowner is uncomfortable with that. Or maybe you use provocation and the homeowner is uncomfortable with that. Should it be a matter of the group saying like, listen, we have to do what we do the way that we do it? Or should you just completely cater to uh, what the homeowner is asking you to do and, and be willing to have to adapt your investigative style based on that?
3: I look at it this way. After the investigation's over, we're the ones that go home. The clients are the ones that stay. Um, so we try to, as best as we can, we we stay within the client's comfort level. We we absolutely do not use anything or do anything that is outside the client's comfort zone. Um, I am not a provoker. I don't use provocation. Um, not, I would say 99% percent of the time i don't use provocation there's sometimes that one percent that comes in that maybe i will but i'll talk to the client first and get there uh and get just get their opinion beforehand but uh, we typically don't investigate with ouija boards but we do investigate sometimes with other divination methods so it could be dowsing rods it could be a pendulum um we actually had a client that wasn't comfortable having one of my team members even in their home because she's pagan um she wanted a strictly christian investigation and i actually have i have a couple mediums on my team and i do have a christian medium so she ended up going on the case um so i feel like you know we we want the we want the clients to trust us too so if we're doing things that are outside of their comfort zone um i think that does damage the trust a little bit and like i said the client the client is the one that has to stay with the house after we're done so we we try to do things in accordance to their comfort zone as best we can
0: so i've been doing this show spooky south coast we've been on the air now 13 years almost 14 yeah be 14 in january so and i've probably been investigating it was you know the summer of that first year that moni's first You know, dragged us out into the field and said, you're not just going to talk about it. You're going to do it, it. too. So in 13 years now of investigating, I only recently just did my first residential case where I actually went into somebody's home because it's 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 not me. It's not it's not who I am. It's not what I'm about. And I I can freely admit that, you know, I I have a hard time being there for people.
1: They're not easy, are they?
0: No, not at all. I mean, I'm the kind of person where if somebody cries, I'm like, "Uh, uh, I'm going to go over here now. You know, like I, I just can't be a good emotional support system for someone. And uh, so for me, that was always kind of my my biggest fear was that I wouldn't be available to people. You know, and also I have a ridiculous schedule, so I couldn't be answering the phone every time somebody called because they thought something was concerning. I couldn't be that that comforting factor for someone. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will say that when I was there and I was doing it, you know, there's there's a sense of There's a rewarding sense at the end of it of saying, like, you just helped this person feel a little bit better about what was going on. It just so happened that in this particular case, you know, we were able to, without really even having to investigate and just talking through with the family, we helped Mm -hmm. them realize that part of what was going on was was a a loved one who had passed away, uh, very, very untimely, and that that was probably what they were dealing with if they were dealing with anything at all, and and that was almost enough for them to say – well, we don't even re- really need the investigation anymore, but you might as well go through with it since you're here. But to see the look of relief on their face and to see the, 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 the feeling of still being able to connect with this young man who had died so tragically, there is a lot of reward in doing that. And I can understand why people like to take on these cases because if you are going to do this as a hobby where nobody's really making any money off of it, that's what you get back out of what you put into it is, is being able to walk away feeling like you made a difference. Mm
3: -hmm. oh yeah i think one of uh we recently had a case where the client had a dog and while this activity was going on the dog would never sleep in the bedroom with her and she was she was a young woman in college um you know the dog was, was kind of the puppy puppy age um poor thing was always responding to the activity that was happening in the in the home so that was a big motivator of hey we need to it wasn't just the client, but we were like, we've got to do it for the dog, guys. <laughs> right. um, and so, I mean, we, were, we visited, I think, two or three times um, to this home because it, it, it was one of our more intense cases. And one of the greatest moments probably in my paranormal career, I guess we can call it, is she had texted a picture of the dog sleeping in the bed with her, to, and she had texted the photo to my case manager, and my case manager sent it to me and was like, hey, look at this. Um, and the client, and this client, we actually we keep in touch with our clients after we're done, and she keeps texting us photos of her dog sleeping with her in bed, um, you know, just to let us know, hey, everything's still okay. So we did it for the
0: dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, I mean, that's doubly rewarding, you know, when it's good for the people and for the pets. But yep. one of the things that I had talked about before the end of the last Mind hour... Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure, go ahead. How do you feel about having animals on
1: an investigation?
3: You know, I haven't formally used a pet, like, on investigation. Any animals that have been present uh, has just been by chance because the client has them. Uh, I tend to take a lot of cues from the animals because if there is something going on, to me... The animals are going to be responding to it, Uh, whether it's a bug on the wall or a demon in the hallway. They're going to respond to it. So, uh, yeah, I think they could be really interesting tools for an investigation. I try not to if they're not my animals. Um, My cats are not interested in it, (laughs) although they will react to anything weird happening in my apartment, which sometimes happens. And, uh, yeah, I think if you have trust with the owner um, or it's your own animal, and <laughs> I guess it just depends on what you want to put them through, um, I wouldn't be taking them to a place with a negative um, haunting. I would be definitely taking them to some place that's a little more benevolent because, you know, I care about the welfare of my <laughs> animals. Um, I don't want to stress them out unnecessarily, but I think they can – I think animals can see things that we can't. And I think they do have that extra, extra sense that, you know, that we don't have.
0: I, I don't bring a lot of pets on investigations, but I sure do find a lot of guinea pigs. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. That's random. Uh, well, well, we are all canaries I, I, in a coal mine. Yeah, I turn everybody else into my guinea pigs uh, for, for things that I come up with. But
3: oh, okay, got it. <laughs> the
0: uh, It was just a bad joke. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on Spooky South Coast, Alex. I got to remind you, I'm the king of terrible, terrible jokes. So, uh, beforehand, I was mentioning the fact that so many people are seeing themselves as stars in the paranormal world now. That they're, because it's so easy to create this media on your own, that people are kind of uh, buying into that. Uh, yeah. themselves, and so one of the things that we've seen is a huge influx of in recent years. It started with YouTube, where it was you know people creating their own paranormal television series on YouTube, and yep. then it's gone to other platforms that have developed over time. You know we've got Twitch now, or is that right? Twitch is that all these different ones that are out there now where people are putting their own programming out, and yep. there's a lot of great people that are using that format to do great work. But it's also opened up the doors. For a lot of people that are just in this just to try to be famous and they're using residential cases as part of that. Uh, and I think that that's something that goes both ways, because not only do you have to be concerned about the people that want to come in with a camera crew uh, in order to investigate your home because they're going to make a video to put out online or, or whatever. But you also have to be worried about the people that want you to come in and investigate their homes just because they think it's going to get them on television.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I had my own little stint on TV last year. Um, I was on an episode of Most Terrifying Places in America. And when I was screening, um, when I'm screening clients, um, I'm actually the first one that sees the case submission, if I think it's promising that I send it to my case manager. Um, After that episode aired, I actually got a few... I got a few case submissions that had mentioned the TV show and, you know, they had specifically noted that they'd be okay with a camera crew coming in. And (laughs) I was like, Oh no. So, (laughs) which that's not how it works. But um, yeah, I, I find that with any case submission that we do with a client, if they mention TV shows, that's a red flag. Um, I've had clients say to me or ask me where where are the cameras, and I say, oh, it's it's my little camera right here that you know, or our surveillance equipment we're going to be using." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh no! Like it, we thought were to, there was going to be a TV set." It's like,
0: mm, it doesn't no. doesn't always work that way.
3: Yeah. So I mean, if people are trying to get on TV, it's it's kind of like well. um I mean, we we get everyone gets the emails from the TV producers asking for clients, um, you know, for residential cases. If I have a client that has asked about it in the past, sometimes I'll forward it on to them just as a like a, hey, I knew you were wanting this for your own craziness happening in your home. Have fun, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> um, you know, if I know that's something that they're wanting, but most of most of the clients we take, they don't want to be on TV they don't want this online at all which we don't post we don't post anything of we don't post any investigations online um residential residential wise or business wise um so and i find the ones who don't want it to be out there in the public are the mo- are the most genuine
0: <laughs> right so well and part of the problem though too is that these tv shows that are out there like most terrifying places in america or um a haunting or some of these other shows that depend on recreation of people's stories. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is they reach out to paranormal investigators and say, hey, what are some of your best cases? And so now these people are saying, well, I've got this case that was great. And this case had a lot of activity. And so then it becomes this thing where now you're reaching out to people and saying, well, we never originally meant to put you on television, but now we have television asking and so, you know, are you willing to, to, to go down that route if that's what they want to do? And and I, I just – I feel like there's enough stuff going on out there that the residential cases should be few and far between for what we're featuring on television. You know, Ghost Hunters used to do – every episode, they would have uh, – they used to do the split cases where they would have a public place and they would have a residential place. And sometimes there would even be two residential places, but they got away from doing it because of all the the – Things that would happen as a result of, first of all, putting people on TV is not an easy thing to do, uh, especially if it's run-of-the-mill you know, regular everyday people. And uh, and, and, and second of all, it's a much harder situation to control uh, because Mm -hmm. you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you can put somebody's house on TV because they're having a problem, and the next thing you know, it turns into the conjuring house where there's people standing out on the the lawn at all hours of the night trying to get in.
3: Yep, exactly. And you also, depending on the situation, you could put damage the trust you had with your client if you reach out to them. And that, that's why I have to be very choosy if I do decide to reach out to a client. But the client could be like, wait, you're telling TV producers about my situation? What's going on here? Right. Um, unless, unless the client has ever said to me, oh, it'd be cool to be on TV about this. <laughs> like literally, they have to say it in that way. Then I'll forward than the producer's email and just say, you know, just thought I'd pass this on to you since I knew you were interested.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's Have fun. That's something that happens though. That's 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 something where they will almost it's almost like TV producers know that investigators want to be on television. So mm-hmm. they take advantage of that and, and basically utilize them to open up their casework instead of saying uh, you know, let's put it out there to people. Do you think you have a haunted house? Contact us. Instead, they're doing it this way, which I think is, you know, it's it's a little bit shady. And and I, I think, think so too. And I like your approach where it's like you will only contact people that have told you that they wouldn't mind in the future. But I think that it's 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 tough to call because if you're calling a client and you're saying, hey. I think, you're, you know, I got contacted by, you know, a haunting, and I think your story would be perfect for that show. And the person says, well, I'm not really comfortable with that, so I'm going to have to say no. That client has got to be thinking to themselves, like, am I ruining this person's chance of possibly getting on TV? Mm-hmm. And am I hurting them because I'm being reluctant to do this? And then you get into the point sometimes you get the investigator trying to to talk the person into it and being real pushy about it. And it just sets up a bad situation that could just be easily. You can't tell me that if you just put out there that you were looking for haunted houses, you wouldn't get enough cases to feature in episodes. But instead, you're doing it this way. And it just it strikes me as a way to kind of um, you're setting up a lot of unnecessary problems for people on both sides.
3: Well, and also you're getting – I mean, I can see why a lot of these producers do it. You're getting free work out of it because that investigator will pull – if they want that opportunity, they will put in the legwork to research and find that client for the producer. So yeah, instead and, of having someone – you have to pay – instead of paying someone to go through those applications, you have somebody doing it for you for free.
0: Right, and and that's what people don't realize is you're basically just handing them over the entire story. And, and making their job easy and getting nothing for it in return. Except I see it all the time now. I see people that are like on one of these shows for five minutes. And the next thing you know, they're at a convention with a big poster as seen on, it's as like non travel channel, <laughs> you know, but if I don't remember you, then does it really matter that you were seen on that? Right. Right. That's, that's kind of the way that I, I look at it. And I, I especially like I get aggravated by that when it's, as seen on because it was about somebody else's story that you were just part mm-hmm. of it you know right. I, don't, I don't know it's it's hard i mean i'm not I, I don't really like having a banner at a convention myself anyway and ten, mm-hmm. i i tend to quote unquote forget it in the car a lot <laughs> just because like most times i show up and i just i'm not in the mood to to look at my face on a wall behind me <laughs> all day <laughs> but hey everybody's Wait. in it for different reasons
3: yeah I do more of the, um, of the geek, geeky cons. So, you know, we're talking like sci-fi, um, anime, and I tend to do more of those cons, uh, mm-hmm. cause there's not a lot of paranormal, there's not a big paranormal presence there. It, it, like, literally, the paranormal track is usually me and like two other people. And that actually gives me a really great opportunity to talk to, talk to a lot of different people about what I do. Um, outside of going to a paracon, and you know everyone already knows everybody, and right, um, it it tends to be it's a, it's a different ballgame. I I, so mean, I I tend to really enjoy those cons.
0: Don't get me wrong; I mean, I love going and talking to all the people. Like that's I I love being part of these things and interacting with everybody. I just don't like pushing myself. Like I, I don't I don't want like people will come up to me like, oh, what are you selling? Because I don't have anything on my table. <laughs> I'm like uh, I'm not selling anything. I'm just I'm here to talk to you. I'm here to be me. Like that's what I'm yep. here for. And that's what I love. I love just networking with people. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I'm glad that we could talk about this topic tonight because it's an issue. It's something that I think is, is taken for granted in the paranormal world that, you know, residential cases are just something that we do. And, and then it's, uh, you know, it's kind of the cornerstone for a lot of these paranormal teams, but they don't really always give it a lot of thought. It's just something that Correct. they want to put on their resume or something that they do or something they can put on their website to try and draw attention for, you know, potential TV producers. Mm-hmm. So yep. thank, thank you I again, do. Alex, for joining us. Uh, why don't you give everybody uh, your, your website and information again one more time?
3: Yeah. Uh, my website is alexmatsuo.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. And you can find my books on Amazon. Just type in my name, Alex Matsuo, and my books will pop up. And feel free to shoot me a Facebook message, send me an email, you know, just say, Hey, heard you on the show. um, just want to say hi. I accept most friend requests. So um, unless you're um, creeping on me, <laughs> then I probably won't accept or answer your message. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I love meeting people. I love hearing people's experiences and ghost stories and opinions. And yeah, um, yes. Yeah. I'm, you can kind of find me
0: anywhere right and anybody that that heard the show earlier you know that you know Alex is not the one to creep on because she uh, she will get down oh. to business and
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. I've had some interesting things in my inbox
0: lately <laughs> <laughs> well wait wait till this show gets out there more uh no our audience is great uh, you don't have to worry about our audience well awesome. thank thank you again for joining us and uh, keep us up to date with everything that you're doing especially if you come out with the uh, the companion book we can have you come back on and talk about that
3: Awesome.
0: Yeah, I would love to. All right. Have a great night. You too. That is Alex Matsuo. Again, if you want to check out her website, alexmatsuo.com, that's M-A-T-S-U-O is the way to spell it, uh, if you want to check out her site. And, uh, of course, you know, this is something that will be ongoing. This is something that will forever be part, I think, of the paranormal world is doing these residential cases. Just be hyper vigilant about who you're bringing onto your team, or if you're somebody that's looking for a team, be hyper vigilant about who you're letting come into your home, and uh, and don't be afraid to, you know, say no. Don't be afraid to say no to somebody that wants to join your team. Don't be afraid to say no to somebody that wants to come into your house. If it doesn't feel right, chances are it's because it probably isn't right. So as Alex said, go with your gut, yeah. and and I don't know why that's such a bad thing, where we have to feel like. The paranormal world feels like the regular world owes us something, and the regular world feels like the paranormal world owes them something if they're going to let them come in. Listen, if it's not right, it's not right, and it's hard enough to do these things that we do, and it's hard enough to, to get respect for what it is that we do, so let's try and do it as respectably as we can. And that's all I have to say about that on my soapbox tonight. If you would like to get in touch with us spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, we'll be back next Saturday night with another program. Until then, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.